Thank you so much, Ramey. It's good to be back with you. Last time I was here, you were just finishing up the uh, restoration of the sanctuary here, and I was here to watch you move the piano. And uh, I, I think some of you probably still have aching backs from that at that point. But uh, it's good to be with you, and it's a delight to always share God's word. And I so much appreciated your music this morning. It's so good to hear a congregation sing praise to Jesus. I mean, that just must make our Savior's heart so full of joy to think that uh, people in Essex Fells, New Jersey, gathered together on a hot Sunday morning to lift their voices in praise for all that he has done for us in grace. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are grateful for the grace that you have lavished upon us. Grace upon grace upon grace. And you've given it to us, not just so that we can be full of your grace, but that we might be overflowing with your grace and that out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water to water the lives of those around us. May we lavish the grace you have lavished upon us, upon those that we meet at the grocery store, our co-workers at work, those who sit across the table from us at supper time, those who live next door, even those who may be our enemies. Father, your grace is indeed our greatest treasure because you are our grace through Jesus Christ. You are the one who has brought this to our life as undeserving as we are. And may we never withhold your grace toward others thinking they don't deserve it because we did not deserve it either. So, Father, keep us humble as the servants of your grace. We pray for those today that have need. Keep our eyes open to those around us who have needs, for they are points of entry that we can use to bring grace to their life. May we look for those opportunities and not cross the street and ignore the fact that there is bleeding on the ground someone in need of care. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless this congregation together, that you would have your hand upon them. May each one understand what a privilege it is to be part of the community of saints, the assembly of believers that you, before the foundation of the world, planned to be together. May they value one another, care for one another, encourage one another, teach one another. We pray for Pastor Dan and his family. We ask for your special grace to be poured out in their lives these days. Give them a good time together of relaxation this week. We pray for our nation. We pray for our world. It's so broken, so corrupted by sin, bleeding, without any idea how to heal itself. But you are the great healer. And you use us by means of your spirit to bring healing and peace 
in the world, that part of the world we can influence. So, Father, we ask for your help in accomplishing your will. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look in the Word of God, we're reminded that stress has always been part of human life. You look in the Old Testament, and as you read between the lines, you can see that it was hard to eke out a living in a land where rain was not very plentiful. In that portion of the world where to the north you had many people who were more than willing to march through your land on their way to do battle in Egypt and use you for their grocery store on the way there and on the way back. It was a tough life. Stress was part of their world. During Jesus' time and his ministry here on earth, stress was part of that world as well. You actually can see some of that stress in that group of 12 men that Jesus called together to teach them how to follow him. Of course, the word disciple simply means learner. And he wanted them to learn how to love one another having first learned to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But there was tension within that group. You had some that were well-educated. You had some that were, were not. You had those who probably never had any calluses on their fingers from what it was they did for a living. And then there was Peter and his buddies who worked hard all night long because that's when fishing happened on the Sea of Galilee. It was at nighttime. And then there was Matthew. Matthew played for the wrong team. He was in cahoots with the Romans, and he collected taxes from his countrymen and pocketed quite a bit himself. At the other end of the spectrum was Simon the terrorist. Oh, he's called Simon the zealot. But um, really, he was the one who was all wrapped up in his identity as a Jew and did not think that the Romans ought to set foot anywhere in his country and wanted them gone and thought, Jesus is just the man to do that. What an interesting dynamic. Having been a teacher most all of my life in one form or another, and I was telling somebody recently when they asked me, what was the first time you taught a group? And I knew the answer right away because I remember it like it was yesterday, though it was many more decades than I care to recall. I was 12 years old when my dad, who was a pastor, asked me to teach in an Iwana convention on how to lead a child to Christ. And as a teacher, you can sense the dynamics of the group that you're teaching. And you know, one, whether or not they're listening. I have preached more than one person to sleep, I'm sure, in my life. You can tell whether or not they're accepting of what it is you are saying, because if you're seeing lots of scowls looking back at you, you know that you've touched a nerve they didn't want to, 
to have touched. And there was stress in that situation too. There was stress between the students, there was stress between the teacher and the student, and there was stress in life. Now I know none of us have a stressful life at all. I mean, we don't have to worry about a pandemic or a recession or what the next political election is going to bring, what the supply chain is going to be like, how the war in Ukraine has had an influence upon that or not, global warming as we enjoy 100 degree temperatures and 100% humidity. None of us have stress in our life. I mean, all of us have plenty of money, never have health problems. We don't groan when we get out of bed in the morning. Life is all peaches and cream, right? Yeah, you say, what planet do you live on? This morning I want to talk to us from God's word about how to manage stress in our life. And you would think that it would be natural to deal with a passage like that passage that says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you, which is indeed true. But there's not a lot of detail there about how to make that happen. So how do you and I manage the stress in our life? Some people reach for a bottle and they find some momentary relief in what it is they drink. Some people entertain themselves. They amuse themselves. You know what the word amuse means? It means, muse means to think. Ah is a negation. So to be amused is to not think. I've met a few of those. Some people reach for pills. There are all kinds of negative ways that people deal with their stress. Most all of them, if not helpful, are certainly harmful. In the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, which is not my text this morning, but it's my starting point, Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. And the parable that he gives there is of a widow who doesn't have enough money. I mean, she's got stress in her life. She is a widow in a culture where there was no social security system, no social net. She was on her own. No means of income. There are two places in the Word of God where Jesus taught more about prayer and those passages are familiar to us. One is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, if you will turn there. It's a passage that is familiar to all of us. It's that passage that we call the Lord's Prayer. In fact, let's pray that together right now. Let's pray. Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now it's interesting when you look in Matthew chapter 6, and then when you look at the parallel passage, but taught on a different occasion in Luke chapter 11, you can see that that last phrase that we put on, for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever, amen, does not occur in either place. In fact, that portion does not appear in some of the manuscripts of the New Testament until about the 4th century A.D. But it doesn't mean it's unbiblical. Because that doxology really comes out of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. So it is okay to tag that on at the end of the prayer that, the, that Jesus taught to his disciples. Now those of you who might have come out of a Catholic background know that prayer as the Our Father because that is the opening line. Protestants tend to call it the disciples' prayer. But I think in the context of both Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11, that it is probably more accurate to describe it as the disciples' prayer, because it was the disciples, if you take a look in, at the passage in Luke chapter 11, who, when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, pray this. Now there are several things that we want to note about that particular occasion when Jesus was responding to a question on the part of one of his students. Lord, would you teach us to pray? He says, when you pray. Not if you pray, not um, if you're so inclined and you still have time for it, if you're not too sleepy at the end of the day or you're not too groggy when you first wake up, you know, mumble these sorts of things. There was an expectation on Jesus' part that if you are his follower, you will pray. If we take a look at the Matthew passage, the instruction there, again, early in the Galilean ministry of Jesus, you have this instruction about prayer occurring in the context of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Just before this, Jesus had taught what we know as the Beatitudes. And they're not just attitudes. I, I, I'm not sure I really like that description of that passage of Scripture either because it seems to be something that you just kind of put on like I put my shirt on this morning before I came. You know, an attitude that you just take out of the closet when you wake up and hang on your body and you walk around. And, but it's not really part of you. What Jesus is describing in the Sermon on the Mount is what is typical of a person who really is a member, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's who you are as a person. It's what you are on the inside that begins to work its way to the outside so that you are a person who is humble in spirit because you recognize before God we only deserve judgment. You're a person who mourns over sin because you realize how sin offends the God that made us and how it creates such chaos here on earth. Blessed are those who are meek. 
doesn't mean they're powerless. It means they know how to control the power that they have. And all of us have power over something or someone in our life. And we can either use that for our advantage or use that to be a blessing. He says, those that are meek, bless others in how they live. And then the next one really convicts me. He says, those that are real kingdom members hunger and thirst for righteousness. We don't give quarter to sin in our life. Whether it's action or attitude, as soon as we have it identified by the Spirit of God and the Word of God in our life, we confess it, we repent of it, we turn from it. Oh, sometimes we have to do that over and over because we're so human. But those that are kingdom people want crave to be righteous. And those who are their kingdom people are merciful people. Revenge is not part of their toolkit of relationships. But mercy is the first thing they reach for in a situation of a stressful relationship with a family member with a friend, with a neighbor, with a co-worker. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. They've caught a glimpse of God. And those who can come into his presence with joy are those who come in because God has purified their heart, taken out the impurity, the dross, that which keeps us from fellowship with God and instead embrace the purity of who God himself is in his holiness, even as we just sang. Blessed are those who are peacemakers in a world filled with conflict. Now, if you try to live that way in this world, I can guarantee you're going to have stress. Jesus said, you know, if they hated me, guess what? If you look like me, they're going to hate you. I'm old enough. I turned 67 this year, so now you know. You don't have to try to figure this out. Turn 67 the end of next month. I'm old enough to remember what life was like in my own culture, here, your own culture, here in the US and North America, in what people thought about people who identified as followers of Jesus. Others might not have been followers themselves, but they had an appreciation for the fact that those who claimed to be followers of Jesus were people who were kind, they were merciful, their heart was pure, they used their power to benefit others, not themselves. They were perceived as being something good for the culture. The tables are 180 degrees opposite now. We have lost the home field advantage. And now all the games are away games in our culture. 
Stress comes with that. I've traveled enough places in the world to observe the stress that Christians live under. Having worshipped with and taught house church leaders in a big country in Asia, I knew that when we parted and said goodbye, I was going back to a less stressful life than what faced them. I am quite sure some of them are in prison as we sit here today. Stress is part of our life. Our objective should not be to try to do all within our power to live as stress-free as possible, but to do all in God's power to manage that stress in a godly way. That's why this morning I want us to briefly take a look at just a sliver of the disciples' prayer. Matthew records the fact that the prayer begins, Our Father, who is in heaven. Luke records the prayer that Jesus taught in response to that question, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Father, hallowed be your name. Now when Jesus taught us as his followers how to pray, he could have begun with one of the other names for God. He could have used the word Jehovah, but he didn't, especially since his audience was Jewish. The Jews believed that the name Jehovah was too holy to speak, and when they wrote it, they left out all the vowels because to write the whole thing they were not worthy enough to pen all the letters. You see, Jehovah is above us. He's beyond us. He's the other, and we are not like him at all. He's removed from us. He's holy. He's unapproachable. And even the high priest on the Day of Atonement bringing that sacrifice, the blood that was to be sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, they tied a rope to his one foot in case he went into the Holy of Holies in an unholy manner himself and was struck dead by God, they could haul him out and not have to go into the Holy of Holies themselves. They understood that when the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen and was being returned to the children of Israel. It was on the ox cart and it started to slide off. One of the men who was accompanying it reached out and touched it. His intentions were good. He didn't want to see the ark fall on the ground and smash. And he instantly died. Jehovah is not approachable. He could have used the word Lord. In Hebrew, El, El Yon would be the term. It's a word that emphasizes power, the mighty one. And you know, 
That would make sense in our prayer life, to come to God and realize, God, you are omnipotent. You can do all things. You can answer the prayer that I'm about to bring before you. But then we stop and remember. Hmm. He used that power to bring a flood that destroyed everyone on earth except eight people in an ark. He used that power to rain fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah. He used that power to part the Red Sea to deliver his people, but to swallow a whole Egyptian army. That's kind of fearful. But when Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't begin his prayer, dear Jehovah. He doesn't begin his prayer, dear Lord. Not that either would necessarily be wrong. I don't think they would be. But he teaches us to pray, our Father. All of us have a father or had a dad. My dad's been in heaven for 19 years. I was blessed by having a very loving and godly father. Some of you might not have been experiencing that kind of blessing in the home in which you grew up. Some of you maybe grew up with a stepdad. You're not related to your stepdad biologically. So it's a little bit different relationship. Some of you may have been adopted by your mom and dad. And their adoption of you is a demonstration of their love, and so they loved you enough to call you their child. And I know people who have been adopted, love their parents, and are loved by their parents but still yearn to know who their real parents are. They just want to know the one to whom they are related. They want to know the one responsible for making them. That's the God to whom we pray. The God who is responsible for making us. Our earthly father is responsible for our being present on earth. Our heavenly father is responsible for us being present on earth and for all eternity. And we get to call him dad. He's our identity. Every now and then I get to go home to where I grew up in southwestern New Hampshire. My dad pastored in Keene, New Hampshire for almost 20 years. I did basically all my growing up there. And when I go back there and meet some of the older folks who knew my dad, and on occasion I get to preach in the church he pastored in, in fact, on their August 7th, they look at me and they say, you're Pastor Ken's boy. I'm 67. They still call me his boy. You know? So that's right. 
And then they say, you know, you look just like him. Yeah, he didn't have much hair either. <laughs> we are exactly the same height. And I have grown to become like him horizontally. In fact, sometimes when I walk past a full-length mirror at home and I catch a sideways glimpse of myself in the mirror, now my dad's been gone 19 years, I say, what's my dad doing here? See, people look at me who knew my father and say, you look just like him. He's my identity. Part of his family. When we get to pray, we get to talk to our Father. We're part of his family. You know, the fact that he's our Father brings to mind a couple of words that begin with A. Number one, he's accessible. My dad was always accessible to us. Yes, he was busy, he pastored. But if I needed something, I could go to my dad's office and knock on his door. We lived beside the church then. and He'd say, what do you want, Doug? <laughs> I recall one time, I don't remember the specific circumstance, whether it was a press conference or just what it was, but the first George Bush, when he was president, was interrupted by one of his grandchildren who came in and said, Grandpa, will you, will you play with me? And he said, well, sweetie, you know, I'm busy right now. I can't. She says, well, you're a poo-poo. <laughs> and when the president told that story, he said, she is the only human being on planet Earth that can call the president of the United States poo-poo and get away with it. <laughs> because she's family. That was her grandfather. He's accessible. You see, in the Old Testament, if you were going to go to the temple to worship God, you had to bring a sacrifice. Oh, there were all kinds of them. There were thank offerings, and there were praise offerings, and there were sin offerings, and the list is, well, just read Leviticus. The priests had a ritual that they had to go through on a routine basis in order to be able to approach God. The, the, the Day of Atonement was the most serious one of all. They had to confess their own sin. They had to confess the sin of the people. They had to slay a sacrifice. They had to put on special garments. I mean, it was a whole thing. And then for a brief moment, he got to come into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of Jehovah, and sprinkle some blood on the mercy seat, and then back out of there as quickly as he possibly could. But a father is approachable as well as accessible. We can come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord, this father of ours, is good. And Jesus teaches us to pray. He wants us to know and appreciate the fact that our Father in Heaven is accessible, our Father in Heaven is approachable. 
our Father in heaven is accepting. Uh, I, once in a while, all right, let's be honest, often was a disobedient child growing up. Some of you probably have already guessed that. There were times I disappointed my dad. But I never doubted that he loved me. He would confront me over my sin. He usually had me dead to rights when he did so. And there was no sense denying it. So I'd own up for it, take responsibility for it, and whatever punishment was appropriate. But after, and yes, back in those days, it was okay to spank your kids. It's one of the reasons why I'm so tall. It just you know, made all the cells go <laughs> up high. He always hugged me. He accepted me. I've told you, I think, previous times when I've been here to preach that I love flashlights. Um, I usually have one within arm's reach. I'm a little anxious right now because my cell phone's down there and it's got a built-in flashlight and I don't have one on my person, but I'll, I'll survive. <laughs> and, you know, it's a gadget and I like my gadgets, but deep down inside... I suspect that one of the reasons why I like flashlights so much is because I'm still afraid of the dark. Not that I think that there are monsters under the bed anymore, but I'm afraid of the dark because if you've stubbed your toe on the way to the bathroom in the middle of the night and you've danced a dance of pain, you know that what's in the dark can hurt you. And the only thing that solves the problem with darkness is light. And I remember being a little kid, my dad was a pastor, Sunday, we had a Sunday evening service as well as a Sunday morning. After the Sunday evening service, particularly in the summertime, my mom would say to my dad, let's go for a ride. And we had a loop that we would drive in the countryside. And usually it passed a little store where we stopped and we got an ice cream. So we always looked forward to that and, you know, we would see what kind of wild animals, you know, deer or wildcat or once in a while a bear. And then when we would get home, we'd get out of the car, dad would unlock the door and He'd say, now get upstairs to bed. And we got to the bottom of the stairs, because all of our bedrooms were upstairs, and my two older sisters would push me to the front and say, you go up first, because it's dark up there. And I would say to my sister Joyce, who's the oldest, but you're the oldest. You ought to go first. And then she would say, but you're the man. You're supposed to go first. 
And my parents would hear us squabbling at the foot of the stairs, not going to bed, but arguing as to who was going to venture into the dark. Then dad would go upstairs. And suddenly the dark wasn't dark anymore. The stress of living with darkness around goes away when you're with your father. So that is why when, when Jesus gives the illustration of a woman who's a widow, whose situation seems hopeless, her world is dark. He says, pray. Men and women ought always to pray and not lose heart, not be afraid of the dark. And if you and I are experiencing continual anxiety and anxiousness and fear, as we live and navigate life, maybe the reason for that is we haven't spent much time with our Father in prayer. Because when you're with your dad, it's all okay. The town I grew up in had about 20,000 people. It was the biggest thing around for 60 miles. And the family joke was, whatever it was you needed in a store, you couldn't find it in Keene. So at Christmas time, when it came time to do our Christmas shopping, we had to drive to Manchester on the other side of the state, 60 miles away. And we did all of our Christmas shopping on one Saturday, sometime in the fall. I remember when I was old enough that um, they let me do my own shopping, and so I you know, had to stay within eye shot of mom and dad when I was doing that, and I had my $2 in my hot little fist to buy all my presents for my dad, my mom, my two sisters, and my little brother. And I would find something, and I would want to ask my you know, mom or dad, you think this is okay, or do I have enough money for this? And I remember, you know, finding something and wanting to ask my dad if this was okay to buy for my mom. So I went over to somebody that I thought was my dad. He tugged on his pant leg and he turned around and to my horror, it wasn't my dad. I remember the sense of fear that came over me because I was separated from my father in a big store, a long way from home. And every now and then in my own life, I have something that I'm not sure about. And I can feel anxiety growing in my life, and I know I'm a long way from home. And I'm in a big crowd of almost 8 billion people. I need my dad. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't say, pray Jehovah. That's like 
more than we can handle. He doesn't teach us to pray, oh Lord, though that is fine. Because that Lord is a master. He's powerful. Will he really want to hear from me? Instead, he says, pray to your father. On one occasion, I love this one. This is one of the best stories in the whole Gospels. Jesus is having a busy day. And his disciples are going here and there and the whole thing. This little kid comes up, crawls up on Jesus' lap. His disciples are ready to say, hey, kid, go find your mother. I think I hear you, you hear your mother calling. <laughs> Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let the little children come to me. Because of such is the kingdom. This father is accessible. This father is approachable. This father is accepting. This father knows how to deal with the darkness. Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There isn't even a shadow caused by him shifting. He is utterly dependable. Got stress in your life? How are you managing it? Two guys were at a wedding reception. Uh, they probably had a little more celebration that they should have had. And so they got into a dispute about which of them was smarter. So one guy says to the other, all right, let's see who knows the most stuff. All right, tell me this. If you're so smart, what month and what date of the month is New Year's. Guy goes, oh man, pretty sure it's after Christmas. I think it's January 1. Oh, you got it. He says, all right, now let me ask you a question. What color is the White House? Guy rolled his eyes. He goes, you know, I'd never been. I've never been there to see it. I've heard about it, but I've never been there. But is it white? You got it. So the other fellow says, okay, it's my turn now. I got one, I bet you don't know. In fact, I got 20 bucks that says you can't recite the whole Lord's Prayer. Okay, it's a piece of cake. Let's hear it. Now I lay me down to sleep. 
I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The other guy laughed, took out the 20, handed it to him and said, I didn't think you could do it. <laughs> you know, sometimes our knowledge of God's word and prayer and God himself is a mile wide, but a half inch deep. And we've got a mile wide, at least, of all the reasons in the world why we can be anxious and fearful. But over a hundred times in the word of God, in one way or another, God says to his people, fear not, don't be afraid, take courage. But if we don't know our Father in heaven and talk with him, then our knowledge of him is a mile wide and a half inch deep, and anxiety will drown us in a half inch of trouble. When you pray, not if, not just before you eat a meal, but when you pray. Or to remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, that we ought always to pray. To live our life in constant conversation with our dad. We will experience that peace of knowing no matter how dark the darkness, our Father is the light of the world. Gracious Lord, thank you that you are who you are, that you're that awesome God, Jehovah, that you are El Elyon, the mighty, omnipotent one who can do all things. And that you're our dad. And you love us. May we talk with you throughout the day and even in the night. Because it is dark out there, but you are light. And we praise you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.